for me, that's what compelled me to tell the story, almost like to bring all of these people to the fore, to show people that they really existed, but also broaden the landscape of what we see as the Old West, show that women were strong characters and were subservient and show that people of colour like really had a place in that space and time. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. Today's episode takes us behind the scenes of director James Samuel's new Western drama, The Harder They Fall. The film tells the story of an outlaw who reunites his old gang to track down and exact revenge on an enemy who is being released from prison. In addition to The Harder They Fall, Mr. Samuel's directorial credits include the feature They Die by Dawn and the short film Jay-Z Legacy. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in New York, Mr. Samuel spoke with fellow director Boz Lerman about filming The Harder They Fall. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. I gotta tell you something, can I tell you something about this man? So I was making a film some time ago because I don't make them that often. And um, I got together with Sean Jay-Z Carter and through him, I met this incredible person. He said, I, I know the person who said, I know this person who knows who is film. He lives, he does music, but he lives, he breathes film. He is film. And once you've met James Samuel, you know, people have that expression, which is, the, you know, a one of a kind. He actually is one of a kind. And he, we went through such a ride on making that film always Scotland, wherever it was, James would turn up, irrepressible energy. But here's what I want to say, and then I'm getting out of the way of this. He said to me, you know, Baz, you know, I'm going to make a movie. And he was talking about it even then. Now, I can't tell you how many people say, you know, I'm going to make a movie. But he did. And you saw it today. And when I saw the movie the other night, I just... I knew he would give himself completely to it, but I was simply blown away by how masterful a first-time feature film like that was. I know what it's like to get a bunch of actors to stand there and try and get a moment, coordinate a camera, deal with the weather, camera all that. How he pulled off that off, I do not know. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, James Samuel. Oh, thank you. My brother, Baz. I believe we have to sit, which is not really our modus operandi, is it, James? Yeah, it's kind of... Shall we try? Yeah, let's try and sit down. A uh, couple of kick-off questions that I know everyone wants to know. I learned only tonight, in just doing a bit of research, that like one-third... I mean, mythology, the Wild West, in fact, all sorts of mythology that we, storytellers, have somewhat been responsible for mythologizing. One of those great mythologies is the notion of the Wild West. And I think the position African Americans, certainly uh, Asian characters, have in that culture. It was staggering to me after I saw the movie to learn that nearly a third of all cowboys were in fact black cowboys. Can you talk about that and how that got into your psyche and why that drew you to to flip the coin on this revered genre how that came about but well for me you know i i love film as you know as much as anyone um that i i, I meet that love loves film 
and westerns were always my favorite genre westerns were always a genre that would just for whatever reason pull me pull me in but the vantage point that we were fed um westerns through was always like male centric and and to be specific like white male centric even women in the in those movies were always subservient and down and downplayed and people of color were always um played off to the side treated less than human and and subservient would be a compliment to those people and how they were treated so just as i was getting older baz i started researching more into what what was that landscape really like because if you ask the average person to guess when wire turp for instance died they'll probably say i don't know 1830 but wire turp died in 1929 gunfire at okay corral tombstone was 1881 The Emancipation Proclamation Act was in the 1860s. So there was decades of the Old West, post-slavery even. And even during slavery, there were free cowboys. And as we were saying, like a third of cowboys were black. And I just wanted to find out more. Almost like I loved the genre so much. The more I can read on it, it was like reading comics. So at the age of like 16, 17, 18, I was reading about these characters like Nat Love and Rufus Buck and Cherokee Bill, and all of these fascinating characters. The real Cherokee Bill, who Lakeith Stanfield plays, when he was going to his hanging, they said to him, any last words? And he said, I came here to die, not make a speech. This was a badass individual. So how come I know all the words of Doris Day's Calamity Jane, right? I just got back from the Windy City. The Windy City is mighty pretty, but they ain't. Got what we got. No, sorry. But I've never heard about Stagecoach Mary. It's like almost criminal. I want to see both of them together. Exactly, right? So for me, that's what compelled me to tell the story, almost like to bring all of these people to the fore, to show people that they really existed, but also broaden the landscape of what we see as the Old West, show that women were strong characters and weren't subservient, and show that people of color like really had a place in that space and time. And they weren't like, you know, under the, not everyone was under the hand of the oppressor. They had their own stories. And so it was more that stuff that drove me to it. Just to, also just to make an exciting movie with more in it, in that, in that period, if that makes any sense. It totally makes sense. And um, what I've learned right now here is that this is a burning flame that you're carrying with you from childhood. Yeah. And what's yeah. great about it, I mean, you've hit a moment when we really, are deeply looking at ourselves and recalibrating storytelling and culture and, you know, doubling down on, okay, where have, where have we been lazy? Where have we made acceptance when, in fact, someone's being hurt by that? But you aren't jumping on that. This is something you've been bringing with you. For a simple thing, a simple child seeing a 16 and going like, how come there aren't people like me up there in the Wild West? Exactly. And then discovering that, in fact, they were. We just didn't tell the story. We just didn't tell the story. And then that brings me to the next thing, which is the how you tell the story. Because... You could have done it very psychological drama. There, there were choices to be made. You yeah. could, you know, there, there are as many flavors in westerns in terms of style of storytelling as there are in any other genre. But you took a style. It was fantastically entertaining. And in a way, what I found so engaging about it was that it was both completely set in a world, I believed in the world, but it was totally contemporary. You know, it was gang warfare. You yeah. know, it was 
It was uh, the whole mythological like level of it. Yeah. So that choice, and that's going to lead pretty quickly to another question, which is the frigging brilliant. Am I allowed to say frigging? Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. But the brilliant use of music that obviously you and Sean Jay-Z Carter wove in amongst that. You know, tell us a little about style, your choices. Well, for me, I always say like, obey your crazy, right? Um, just like all of the things in my head I wanted to I wanted to get out and tell the story that's most truthful to me. I think when people say they don't like Westerns, I meet so many people that say they, they don't like Westerns. And I always say, it's not that you don't like Westerns, you're not being fed the type of Western you want to see, right? There's so many people that would say, oh, I'm not into Shakespeare. And five minutes into your Romeo and Juliet, they are literally glued to the screen. I'm sure right. some people say, no, I definitely don't like Shakespeare. <laughs> no, right? And so, and so for me, it was about, you know, the, I, I, I always think of this, and, and, and I'd lead straight into music with it. There wasn't one cowboy that lived in the Old West. It was actually the New West. It was the New America, the New Frontier. Old West is something that we called it decades after, and that Hollywood called it when they were feeding us. But they weren't in the Old West, so... so no cowboy spoke slow, like hey. That was two cowboy, two cowboys that that the two actors, John Wayne and Clint Eastwood, because that's how they spoke in real life. Everyone else, even in those movies, spoke fast, yeah. right? Spoke contemporary. I think that for me, I just needed to, especially that there aren't westerns being made as much now, right? So we can do a lot more things with the camera. I can do all the things that, that exist in my brain, like split screen and yeah. just really mad aerial aerial shots. Basically, just the way that I feel this story wanted to be wanted to be told. I can do things with music that I that I, yeah. I didn't get in the in the Western. And you know, in in speaking about music. If we think about cowboy music, we'll think about if okay, there's a film Rio Bravo with with John Wayne and yeah. and Dean Martin. And Dean Martin is in you know if Dean Martin's in a film, no matter how serious John Wayne tries to be, there's a song coming. <laughs> right? There's a song coming. And so they're in prison at one stage and and Dean Martin's like, on the way down the river, that's the way along the beam. In the river, just my rifle, my pony, and me. He sings a song called Rifle, My Pony, My Rifle, My Pony, and Me. It's an awesome song. But Jesse James never heard any music like that. Nor did Frank James, nor did Pat Garrett, nor did Billy the Kid. Even when it went to Italy and Ennio Morricone took the electric guitar, right? And be like, ding, 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 ding. I thought of that. I thought about it. I thought about Ennio Morricone, actually. No cowboy heard that music. So even the cowboy never heard of the electric guitar. So even when we think of cowboy music, it wasn't. It was just the contemporary music. At the time, they were making those... those. Uh, at no point in Jesse James's life did he ever go. Dun, 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 dun. So for me, it was about like I composed uh, the score for this movie. So I, I was searching for um, what makes what would make 
what would give this movie its own signature, its own sound, its own style, and just put its own stamp. So I started um, experimenting with like reggae and dub. I saw that. Right? Yeah. And so, so in a scene of danger, you'll, you'll hear like, do, 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 jing, 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 jing. And the strings, oh, do, 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 jing, 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 jing. Mm. Oh, do, 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 do. And it's kind of like my version of, of the West. It's like, it, it, this movie isn't the old West, it's the, 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 the new West. And incidentally, you taught me something like really uh, the the parallels that that you and I have has been crazy, Baz. I'll tell you something you haven't thought of. The first celebrity to get the coronavirus is something we've never spoken about. Was Tom Hanks mm-hmm. on your true. movie? Yes, right? that is true. Your movie shut down, and this and that and the other. And I was watching that like, wow, what is this coronavirus thing? And we were gearing up to shoot. And the second celebrity known to get the coronavirus was Idris Elba. Yes, that's right. On my film. And we shut down two days before he came down with the coronavirus. I was like, wow, me and Baz Luhrmann are like liquid and nitrogen. We should never make a movie at the same time again. What next? (laughs) But but when we were doing doing, um, Gatsby, Baz told me, there was a few sessions where Jay was in another country. We'll be in like New York or we'll be in LA. We'll be in Scotland. And we were working on the music for Gatsby. And you said to me, and this is really deep. You said, um, don't take notes, James. It's going to be too much, too much. Film us, film the film. film and I'll just speak to the camera. So I had all of these um, sessions where you're walking me through the, the music schedule what we're going to record, there, where we're going to do score, what month, where we need songs. And you had a, a board, you and Anton Monstead were walking through the whole thing. Sure. And it was weird because when, when we wrapped filming, I had, it was in the exact same month that we were doing um, Gatsby, just month, calendar month, right? Not year, obviously. It was in the exact same month. And those uh, videos that I took, because I'd upload them and send them to Jay so we'd all be in sync. Those videos that I took became my map <laughs> to do the score. And because I, I composed the score and wrote and produced the entire soundtrack, but I knew I could do it because you gave me that roadmap <laughs> while we were doing Gatsby. Like, okay, so here, this month, we need this finished by. And, and it was just something like the Bible that I'll keep, um, mm. keep going back. Too. So musically, um, Gatsby was like university. Um, well, and, and it finishes it. You know what I'm getting from you, James, just listening to you. And, and I kind of expect this somewhat, knowing mm-hmm. you and being with such great pals and what we've been through, is this decoding. When you bring up this point, which is we have a perception we've been fed of a mythologized place. I mean, Star Wars was a Western set in outer space. Space, yeah. Yeah. Right, I mean, it's, and it's actually a Greek myth, really. You know, that's a quest myth. Westerns are invariably quest myths. You know, and in your your world, you know, just like in Star Wars, they stop up at the bar. You know, you've got that amazing scene in the saloon, 
and that dance moment. And I could hear people going, oh, you know, wow, is that right? Should they be dancing? And in fact, it was crazy, yeah, mm. because the French can-can, I know a little bit about the French can-can, was uh, transported into those saloons because they were really brothels. Exactly, yeah. So the translation bit, I, I really, I kind of expected you'd go strong there and boy, was I not disappointed. What really shocked me though, because one never knows about this, is that you've got this absolute A team of actors. I mean, heavyweights, all of them wonderful. And it's not everyone who can go in there and get amongst actors, because actors are like thumbprints. If you know anything about the work, no two actors are the same. You don't deal with any two actors like in a generalized way. And your ability to have got that ensemble to deliver and sit inside the same world, do you know? So talk a bit about how you work with them and how you work with them. And then the other thing that, that I really want to hear about is how you actually came up. And the production line was awesome, but just use of camera and all those things. So masterful, really. But tell me about the actors, because that you never know until you're in front of them, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, the... the the, the process of working with, with the actors, I, I just had to trust my own, um, not necessarily instincts, but my own brand of crazy. Like, I'm bonkers. So, so when I'm speaking to an actor like uh, Regina King, I knew when we got on FaceTime, I had like 10 seconds to make, an, make a first impression. And as soon as she answered her call, I was like... Peace to the black queen, Regina King, in the building. She's like, okay, hello. <laughs> and I was like, look, so I'm making this, this western. And, and I, I almost just have to, um, I always say that the film that we make is for the public, but the making of the film is for us. That's our personal, that's our personal experience. So I just want to have fun and have a great time making it. And, and I just think that all the actors that I met and, and uh, worked with, they, they, they trusted me and trusted my particular brand of crazy. But what I didn't know is that I would be shooting my debut film wearing goggles, wearing, in the desert, wearing goggles, a face mask, and I couldn't stand closer than six feet to any actor at any time. It was the craziest thing. And, and because... COVID-19 was brand new at the time. There was a lot of scenes where I would have to use a face shield. So I'll have goggles and the face shield and a mask and six feet. Like We had six feet police, right? You, you know, James, I've got to jump in on that because that is a very interesting thing because some actors, you know, talk to them on a megaphone, no problem. I got it, you know? Yeah. Um, someone like Tom, really, who I've just been working with, really direct, amazing, like the, the Rolls Royce of actors. But some actors are very internal and very sensitive and you need to lean into them and to. quietly say they don't want to feel judged or, yeah. and you need a very intimate moment where you're just trying to encourage or guide or give them, yeah. be the captain, the audience. So the whole COVID thing must have it's, been a crazy obstacle. It was the craziest thing. And I think for me, that was the benefit of me having never directed a feature film before. Because, I, because, so it was almost like learning to drive in a Bugatti. If you can't drive, there's no difference between a Lamborghini Diablo and a Mini Cooper. Basically, show me, okay, that's the steering wheel, that's the, where's the brake? Let me just go. Like, I, I had, this movie was so yearning to 
um, get out of me. I just like, okay, what, what is the rules? And there was like new rules, you know, because you were shooting the same time. There was new rules every single day. Things were changed. Then we were doing like rapid tests. So we had to switch to PCR tests. Because rapid tests, I call them eeny, meeny, miny, moes. They just pick whoever they want to have COVID at any given time. And then you're shut down. So we were... <laughs> So we were dealing with all of this, um, all of these massive obstacles. And also what people don't know unless they've, they've shot in COVID is the, the psychological toll it takes on the crew and the actors, which is why I had uh, my sound um, guy, Anthony Ortiz, my, my sound recorders, I had him put a huge speaker on my, on my video village and I would just blast music between takes and keep everyone in in uh, super good spirits. Sometimes we'll have like a dance party six feet, <laughs> six feet away from each other, but we'll be doing all of this all the time just to keep, um, to, yeah, to keep the ensemble and spirits up. Yeah. And, and with regards to um, the camera, for me, it, it, the, 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 um, the way I was telling the story through the camera, for me, my whole um, ethos was locked even though there's COVID, even though there's this pandemic and everyone's scared, make sure I get my shots. Get the shot. Because the camera, t- you know this more than mm. anyone, the camera tells the, tells the story, right? If you watch The Harder They Fall Again, you'll see I, I don't really do over-the-shoulder shots. Like scenes um, sometimes are just, they, they frustrate me. They, I feel outside the conversation, you know, like over-the-shoulder, over-the-shoulder, mm. reverse, two shot. Yeah, yeah. Whereas because the camera is telling the story, for me, if all I'm going to do is, is uh, press record, so to speak. I might as well not be there. I really wanted to... Be there, present. I, it's yeah, a very I, present camera. Yeah, it's I really wanted the camera present. to have its own, its yeah. own um, voice. I fought really hard against COVID. When I was growing up, I used to hear, I'd read everything I could on directs and I'll attend workshops and film schools and everything I could. And I used to always hear, when you start making your movie, there's a thing called Murphy's Law. Whatever could go wrong, will go wrong. Well, Murphy got killed by COVID-19. <laughs> he caught COVID and died quickly. And that thing should now be called COVID's Law. Because when, <laughs> because when one day you're having fun and getting ready to yeah. shoot your, your film, and then there's this thing called the coronavirus, the first worldwide pandemic yeah. in 102 years, and it throws everything out of whack. It's almost like you're going to war with an alien every single day, Baz. You know what? When I was very young, Peter Weir, the Australian director, and a great, great guy, and he was very kind to me. I was making my own first movie. And um, he said something similar to me, actually. You just reminded me. He said, look, increasingly in the world, there's probably very few things left where actually one person has to make every single decision from, if this is a scene, as you know, color of that curtain, you collaborate, serially collaborate, but in 300 questions a day, you know. He said, but when you're out there you, and you're filming, you can't call the umpire, unfair, you know, time out, you know. I said, pink elephants, where are the pink elephants? Well, they didn't come today, you know, and you've got to deal with it. And, you know, I think people never see that. They can never understand that when they just love the film that you've done, they watch it, that you had to invent on the spot or deal with the problem. And turn it to a positive moment. Did a moment like that happen for you in the film? Obviously, COVID. But. Yeah, I mean, COVID. Like every every single day, we there was a um, scene where the, the craziest the craziest thing. Like if we did a saloon scene, because it had like you know it was filled with with background background actors, background artists. 
the following day, someone's going to test positive. Then they'll have to do contact tracing. So we're going to be shut down for, t- for two weeks. So every time we had a saloon scene, it was like, okay. So the scene where Trudy Smith says to Nat Love, he says, where's your boss? He comes to rescue Mary. Rufus Buck, Idris Elba was meant to be in that shot, right? And that was in that scene. And that was the, the, the first scene where Rufus Buck meets Nat Love, right? He meets Nat Love in that particular scene. But we shot a saloon scene the day before. And there was rapid testing. Saloon scene, background artists, rapid testing. There's going to be a COVID. There's going to be a positive. And literally, guys, we were, I had walked through the scene. I had walked through the scene. We'd blocked it. Idris was in, uh, everyone was in, was in uh, uh, their, their costumes. And then just as I was about to say action, our line producer, G. Matt Brown, said um, someone tested positive yesterday. Someone tested positive and we have to shut down. But Idris was leave. That was his last day of shooting. He was leaving the following day to go to Australia to shoot with um, George right. Miller. That's right. Right? I was like, no, with look, George, yeah. I just need one shot. We'll shut down in 10 minutes. He said, we can't, we can't do it. But I'm a street, I'm a street dude. I come from... The hood. <laughs> I'm like, yes, we can. No one's going to beat me up. That's where my brain goes. Like, okay, is someone going to beat me up? No. Let me just have 10 minutes of action. Just give me action. I said, you can't, you can't do it. So I had to rethink. And I was thinking about the story. I always say there's, even with COVID, there's no problems, just alternate solutions. Just alternate solutions. Yeah, just create your way Yeah. And then I, I thought, okay, all right. Technically... Rufus Buck can meet that love in the jail, in the jail sequence, which I had already shot. All it needs is a whistle. It's a whistle. And I went back through the footage, and that love is held up. And I was like, <whistles> and that's me whistling. I'm actually a good whistler which is Nat Love and Mary's theme. Away with the wind, she goes as her garden grows. Hold those flowers close. And also, how does Rufus Buck know that song that Nat Love is playing on the guitar in the opening scene? The, the, the theme. Then his dad must have sung it to his mum. His dad also probably sung it to Rufus Buck's mum. And this and that. And that. So I made that their first, their first scene, which I think was much more I gotta powerful. Tell, I got to tell you, I've, I'm just a representative of an audience. I'm just a punter. I remember seeing that and hearing the whistle thing. I went, ooh, that's a chic solution. I had no idea yeah. it came from an invention. Yeah, know, because we lost it, that awesome. scene with when Trudy Smith's like, my boss, there's meant to be a uh, Rufus Buck. He was meant to walk out and have a conversation. I had to re-do um, the whole scene, make make Cherokee Bill and Jim Beckwith have a standoff, have an almost oh. standoff. I, I re-did the whole scene because we lost Idris because COVID was just throwing a spanner in the works. But I was thinking, I'm meant to shoot The Harder Day Fall, which means I was meant to shoot it now, which means for whatever universal reason, COVID was always going to gonna happen at this particular point in time. And I kept on telling myself, look, my movie's going to be dope. It's going to be dope. There's no problem. There's just a solution. I haven't seen it yet. Let me work out the solution. Because if I start panicking, then everyone's going to start panicking. For sure. 
And for sure. Yeah. And then if I catch a bad attitude, yeah. then everyone's going to... For sure. You know, James, often people, you, I bet you get this question all the time, say, oh, are you, are you scared? You know, are you full of fear? And I go, are you kidding? Of course I am. I wake up in the morning terrified, but it is our job. You know, I often say it's called a screen play. Do you know? That we are but players. Yeah. You cannot, children can't play if they're fearful. Mm. Our job is to go in and create an environment where we keep fear away. Yeah. So if we're terrified, we're going, oh, my God, yeah. the players can't play. Exactly. So people don't understand that part yeah. of the job. You've got to lead. Yeah. You've got to pack your fear away you before have you hit to. the set. You have to. And so I'll, I'll turn, speaking about play, like everything into a game. Because, you know, like in the hood, we'll be, people will be making, we'll have so many different types of quote-unquote oppressors like police and it's not so you have to turn everything kind of into joy so for instance the covid police like up to now i call them the covid police right joyous and the covid police who were having the worst time everyone like hated them because it seemed like they were preventative i didn't like i love that like there's one lady stasia i love her so much i invited her to the premiere two days two days ago right and she was king of the she, she was king of like the the COVID uh, six feet um, lady, but I thought, look, if these if these guys aren't able to do their to do their job, we'll have the whole movie shut down forever, forever. But but you know, it's when people leave the set, you can't you can't uh, uh, control what people are going to do when they leave the set, and that's where all the hassle is happening. I don't know, James, you felt, but I, you know, with with my situation, Tom got it very early. And in fact, it was exactly like that. It was a scene where he's guiding Elvis through a crowd. We were rehearsing. My first comes over and says, <laughs> I like Mac Brown, he says, I think Tom's got that flu thing, right? Oh, no. And the rest is history. You know, guys in hazmat suits shut their book. Film almost went away. Finally brought the film back. Tom comes back. So brave to him. But did you get in your movie once you got back to it? Do you think it added, because this shoot I went through, did it add a kind of feeling of we are going to prevail on oh, the cast and crew? Absolutely. We are going to get this movie. The show must go on. The show must go on. Like, absolutely. We, we were in um, New Mexico for four months. Four months um, there, and the, and the movie was down. But I stayed there um, because there was no way we weren't, we weren't going to shoot this movie. And the, the coronavirus and the worldwide pandemic, and then the George Floyd um, um, incident happened, and all the protests. So by the time we got back up, we were like a, such a close unit and everyone was protective of each other, even though there was fear, like there was so much fear. Every morning, everyone would, there'll be these talks just before we start filming and, and just the fear would, um, would, would come out. And I, I would just try to remind everyone how much of a great job everyone is doing and how, like, and you know, we're all attempting to make history. Even the caterers, everyone on on set is a filmmaker. Everyone is is there to make a film and, and there for the for the greater good. And I would just constantly remind people to have as much fun as they could. So it turned it it got while I'm trying to make this movie, I started doing things like uh, snitching on people. So I play like snitching games. So the COVID lady would bring in stars, literal, literal snitch stars. Like, look, there's James Lasseter and he's talking close to, but we'll turn everything into like 
into like a game to just have as much fun with the dire um, situation we were in. We got, we got, we got. It's like a chat show, you know. There's a bit like got to go commercial break, so mm. I'm going up. But just really quickly, the other thing that struck me was that here is this first, here is this truly black western, and all those actors, and they were so comfortable with horse, with swagger, with all those things that we relate to being actual. I mean, they they are called cow cow people, you know, cowboys, yeah. cowgirls. They deal with livestock, all that. Was it boot camp? Like, how did, how did, I'm not, I'm guessing not, not everybody in the cast grew up on a ranch. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jonathan Majors, he really, like, that's him riding. He was galloping full speed, no hands and shooting on target. This guy is liter- literal Superman. I walked up to him after, I was like, where exactly did you learn to do that? He went, I can't do it. I, mean, I just, I just filmed you doing it. He went, no, I can't ride at all. Nat Love can. Get and rode he away. I was like, this guy's a genius, right? Yeah. Re- everyone Acting. else, yeah, everyone else, it was the craziest thing because a lot of people couldn't ride. But then they went to cowboy camp and then we were in lockdown and people were still taking their, uh, let's like, all, there's no stuntman with Jim Beckwith. That's all him. And so by the time we got back up, everyone was experts riding. And because we're on location, there's no cars. They're literally riding those horses around. It was the most fascinating thing to see. So I'll call like Zarsi. She'll be way over there and just ride down on her horse. Yo, what's up, man? I'm like, could you get me a milkshake from Catering? Like it was the it was the most uh, the most awesome uh, awesome thing. And then I think it became we get. I'll I'll I'll, I'll be quick. <laughs> We become institutionalized by whatever scenario we're in repeatedly. It's the craziest thing how you become used to wearing a mask. You become used to greeting someone. There's people on set, I never saw their face. Up to now, I could walk past them in the street and not know how they look. I never ever saw their, their face. So we also became institutionalized with, with um, the conditions. And after a while your brain just gets back to making this movie, getting the, the exact shots I need, getting the, and you kind of, the, the conditions become secondary to everything I learned. I learned this with, with, from you and Jay with Gatsby. Everything that you're going to go through on a set is secondary to the story. Like you story have to, yeah. We, we but serve that thing above all of us, which is the story, for sure. Yeah. Uh, i got to just say one thing. We're going to close out, but i got to say, you know, James is my friend for sure, all right? He's he my brother for sure, but there is something so, I'm going to say that word, frigging exciting about being around the birth of a major new talent in cinema and a sim like this. Is that Thank not you an so exciting, much. Thank you exciting so much, my thing? Thank you, guys. so awesome. So, bro, I think we have to... Why don't you take a bow and let's have a hug. Bow and hug. Thank you, guys. And thank you guys so Thanks, much. Guys. Man. It means so much to be here and just to be jamming with you guys and you guys appreciating what, what it was that um, I, I presented to you guys. And thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.
This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. 